Well, I'm thankful it's Christmas. Uh, you don't have to say much to realize the world doesn't want to recognize the God of Christmas. Uh, but we sure do. Uh, even my mom, she visited with us yesterday. She was telling with me, she, kind of a funny side note, she lost the baby Jesus to her nativity set, which is not good. It's a good thing the Lord Jesus resides in her heart. Otherwise, that might look bad if you lose the most important part of the nativity. Without Jesus, you don't have a nativity set. You just have a bunch of folks hanging out in a stockyard. So she told me she was going around shopping, <laughs> trying to find a baby Jesus, and she went everywhere, and they couldn't. No one would sell just an individual baby Jesus. It sounds like a punchline. I'm not, Bill, this is a true story. And she was going all over West Knoxville, and she, nobody had one for sale. And she went to one lady's store, at kind of a fancy schmancy store there in Knoxville, and she said, I'm looking for a nativity set where I can just buy the baby Jesus. And the lady said, well, I think it's over there. And she opened it up. She said, it wasn't a nativity set. It was a mariachi band. And my mom said, ma'am, this isn't a nativity set. I'm looking for a baby Jesus. And the lady said, well, he's not very popular this year. Now, if you know my mama, them's fighting words. <laughs> but that's about the sum of it anymore. The Lord Jesus is not very popular, but with the church he is. And we, the longer we live, the more we're going to have to fight to keep him important in our hearts. The more we're going to have to keep him important in the church. The more we're going to have to keep him in our homes and at the family altar, at the di dinner table and on our job. You have to fight to keep him in school. The kids will do that. They can't run the kids out. Kids are the whole reason we have school. And so I was really trying to find a positive thing to minister on this Christmas. But there's no sense burying your head in the sand like an ostrich and acting like everything's okay in the earth when it's not. The earth is very hostile right now. The world hates our God. And our God is more unpopular now than he's ever been. And this thing's going to wrap up in the rapture and in the apocalypse. Now for us, that's an awesome thing because we don't have to go through it. We're here because we're all saints of God and we can celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice and his resurrection. And we as the church, we can celebrate these things. But I want to talk to you tonight about Emmanuel. And I'm going to show you some crazy things that you've never heard. Nobody's ever heard a message on Meher Shalal Hashbaz, much less it be a Christmas sermon. But that is the title of my Christmas sermon is Meher Shalal Hashbaz. And it is very much tied to Emmanuel. And you didn't even know that. Uh, go, if you would, to Isaiah. We're going to start off there, and I'm just going to teach tonight. In the, in the book of Isaiah, it covers many years. And uh, at this time, the kingdom is divided. And what we're going to take a lot of allegory. Because these chapters inv involve Emmanuel, God with us, which we know is one of the many names of the Son of God, we know this has direct correlation to the church. Now, in Isaiah, you have a lot of prophecy, so pay attention, and we're going to teach tonight. I'm not here to make you just feel good. I want to put some word in you, okay? I'm never really a feel-good pastor anyway. If you want to feel good, go fellowship with Jesus. I'm here to put the word in you. In this time in Israel's history, uh, the kingdom is divided. Because Emmanuel is mentioned through these verses, these chapters, we can directly relate it to the church. All prophecy has multiple applications. That which is currently going on and that which is going to come to pass. So at this setting, Isaiah 7, Isaiah 8, and Isaiah 9, we're going to focus on Isaiah 8, but I'm going to give you the setting from Isaiah 7. The king of Judah is Ahaz, and he is a descendant of King David, which is the good lineage. But because the kingdom is divided, we could easily say it's like the divided church. 
And ever since there has been the church, the church has been divided. There's been half the church that wanted God with all of its might. And there's been the other half of the church that always wanted to buddy up with the world. That's no different where we're at here in Isaiah. We're seeing the same thing in the world right now. There's part of the church, the remnant, that wants God, and we're not compromising, we're not backing off, but there's a big section of the church right now that buddies up with the world and wants to snuggle with the world. All right? Here, when he, and we have in Isaiah 7, King Ahaz is the king of Judah. He's the king that wants God, and his half of the kingdom wants God. But there's a problem in that there's some, an evil worldly army called the Assyrians coming. So the other half of Israel is freaking out. The world, the part of the church that doesn't walk with God. And you can always tell the part of the church that doesn't walk with God, they're always freaking out. When you walk with God, you don't freak out. When you walk with God, you don't freak out. The king of Israel, that's right now the kingdom's divided Judah and Israel. That's the two kingdom names. Judah's king is Ahaz. He's good. All right. The king of Israel, he's bad. His name is Pekah, and he's the son of Remalia, all right? He is freaking out because Assyria is coming. And to overcome the world that's coming against him, he buddies up with the world, the king of Syria. Now, that sounds just like what's going on in the church today. The church that doesn't walk with God is freaking out. We're afraid, not us, but part of the church that's freaking out is doesn't want to offend the world, so they buddy up with the world to try to beat the world. You're not going to beat the world budding up with the world. And so what happens is Pekah and uh, 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 the other king, whose name I've just drawn a blank to, uh, of Syria, they join forces, and they're not just wanting to fight against Assyria. They also want to wipe out Judah. That sounds like what we're going through right now. You have the whole seeker-friendly church movement budding up with the world because they want to be friends with the world, and they want to stomp out folks like you and I who want God at any price, who want to be the remnant church. It isn't enough to let us walk with God. What they wanted to do was stomp out Ahaz and the dynasty of David, because Christ would come through David. And we see this allegory playing out in the church today. And so here I'm going to read out of the NIV just because it's a little bit easier reading. Here in Isaiah... Uh, let me read you the king, the name of the other king. Uh, Rezin. Rezin was the king of, of, of Syria, excuse me, Syria. So Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the king of Israel, they joined forces not just to fight against Assyria, but to fight against Judah. And so what happens is Ahaz gets nervous. They come up and they attack Jerusalem, but they don't succeed. But Jerusalem suffers heavy losses. And so the prophet Isaiah goes to the king of Judah, uh, Ahaz, and says, ask God for a sign. And the king of Judah says, I will not tempt God. I trust him. And Isaiah says, all right, here's your sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Does this sound familiar? That's the prophecy. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. That's the setting for that prophecy. That's what we're celebrating tonight and tomorrow is a virgin conceived and we called his name Emmanuel, which we know means God is with us. So that brings us to Isaiah chapter 8. Okay, so we're going to start reading here. You understand the political setting. Half of the church, half of God's people want God. The other half of God's people are budding up with the world because they're afraid of the world. 
That's exactly what's going on in the church right now. Half of the church in America is worldly because they're afraid of the world. And you'll never overcome the world living like the world. And they never beat Assyria. They were terrified of them, so they joined up with Syria, a different army, to try to beat. It didn't work. Isaiah chapter 8, God speaks to Isaiah the prophet. And he says, the Lord said to me, take a large scroll and write on it with an ordinary pen, Meher Shalal Hashbaz. <laughs> and I will call in Uriah the priest and Zechariah son of Jebrekiah as reliable witnesses for me. Isaiah says, then I went to the prophetess, which is his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said to me, name him Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Before the boy knows how to say my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus, which is Syria, and the plunder of Samaria, which is the capital of Israel, all right, that's the evil part of the church, will be carried off by the king of Assyria. Now, Mahal Shalal Hashbaz means quick to the plunder, quick to the spoil. What God is saying is when the church buddies up with the world to overcome the world, the world will plunder them. When the, when the church buddies up with the world to overcome the world, the world will plunder them. And he said this will happen quickly. Before the boy you just conceived can even talk, this will happen. And, and folks, we're watching that right now. When the church buddies up with the world, we're watching the world plunder the church of its goods. We're watching the world plunder the church of holiness. We're watching the world plunder the church of righteousness and peace, sanctity. We're watching the world plunder the church of a standard, of the power of God, of miracles, signs, wonders, prayer time, altar. We're watching the world do this. And so it's called Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Quick to the plunder, quick to the spoil. But the bad thing is, that's what the name of this one kid is called. But the name of the kid that was promised, no disrespect, the name of the other child promised is Emmanuel, God with us. And when you don't walk with God with you, all you get is quick to the spoil, quick to the plunder. Many of your lives will be spoiled and plundered because you don't walk with God close enough. Many of you, your health will be plundered because you have not made God Emmanuel. You have buddied up with the world. You have buddied up with the, the world system. You've made friends with mammon. You've made friends with the world. And you wonder why you're being plundered. We have to fight for that. Right now, we can tell the world is plundering the church because we're backing off Christmas. We're backing off Jesus Christ. I was at Taco Bell today. That was my Christmas Eve lunch. <laughs> and I ordered whatever I ordered. And the lady said, uh, thank you, next window, Merry Christmas. And I smiled so big and I drove up to the next window and I said, I'm so glad you said Merry Christmas and you haven't given in to all this political correct junk. And she smiled really big. And I said, can I get one more thing? My wife just called me. So I had to order something for Miss Manda. And she brings it back and she said, Merry Christmas again. I said, Merry Christmas to you too. And she gave me one of those receipts where you email in and tell you how your visit was and I'm going to do it. I'm going to say, I'm so thankful your company hasn't sold out to the world and stripped Christ out of Christmas. I have a new philosophy. If you can't call it Christmas, you shouldn't have the day off. I mean, I'd call it Ramadan if I could get the month off. I'd, I'd acknowledge that's Ramadan. I'll get the month off. 
D-U-M-B. <laughs> Verse five, the Lord spoke to me again. Listen to this carefully. Because this people, he's talking about the people of God. Because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices over Rezin, that's the Syrian king, and rejoices over Pekah, the son of Remalia, that's the Israelite king, that's the one that's in bed with the world. Therefore, the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the river, the king of Assyria, with all of his pomp and glory. So basically, because they rejected the waters of Shiloh, we'll cover that here in a second, and they were excited about what the kings of the world were doing, and God's talking about his people, he said, they're excited to get behind the worldly movement against the world. He said, the world will overtake them. You cannot get in bed with the world to win the world and overcome the world. My pastor, Dr. Barclay, always preaches, you can't preach the world to the world to save the world from the world. That's why the church is failing in America. And the, the, the child prophesied for this was Meher Shalaj Hashbaz. Quick to the plunder, quick to the spoil. Now, it says that they neglected, they forsook the gentle flowing waters of Shiloh. That means nothing to us in Hebrew, but in the Greek, that is the pool of Siloam. That's where Jesus gives sight to the blind. And it says that God's people rejected that place. That's the place where Jesus spit and made clay and rubbed it on the man's eyes, the man who was born blind, though nobody had done wrong. But Jesus said, I did this because I must do the works of him that sent me. And he sent him to the pool that's called sent and he received sight. When God's people begin rejecting the waters that bring sight because they don't want to see, then the, the Lord gives them over to the world. That happened in the book of Acts. God said, go, I send you. And they didn't. So God brought the world against them. And a great persecution arose. The reason America is being whipped, the American church, is because we refuse to do what God sent us to do. We have sat stagnant. We've embraced the world. We made friends with the world that we might win the world, and it hasn't worked. Therefore, we could prophesy, according to Acts 8.1, we should expect a great persecution to arise against the church. Because here in Isaiah 8, when they didn't do the word, a great persecution arose against them. They forsook the waters of sight, the waters of being sent, the waters that bring sight to the blind. You cannot do that and expect to, to make it. We've got to run to the pools of Siloam, the pool where we can have our eyes washed and we can see clearly. We cannot bear our head in the sand. As I said, I was really trying to scrounge up a good, real, warm, maybe seeker-friendly message for you. But if you really hear from God, you can't fake it. Now, we'll, we'll wrap this up because Isaiah 8 ends awesome for those that walk with God. But only half the kingdom was walking, not even half. I mean, it was divided in half, but it was less than half. Only they walked with God. This is what's going on in the church. Half the church is budding up with the world, trying to win the world, trying to be friends with the world, to stop the world. The world will overtake them and plunder them because they have forsaken the pool of sight. We got to want sight, folks. You got to want light with all of your heart. 
with all of your heart. You got to want to see. And once you see, you got to do something. Let's keep reading here. Because they forsook the gently flowing waters, God says, I will bring the mighty floodwaters of the river Assyria against them. It will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it. So when you forsake the gentle waters of God, you get the turbulence of persecution. Mm. I want to hop in the river and flow, baby, flow. (laughs) Maybe you get enough Christians in America crying out to God. Maybe we can avert this. I don't want America to become a persecuted church like China or Pakistan or Iran. But right now, America is what America wants. And if the church would rise up and cry out to God, oh, God, give us sight. Oh, God, can I have my vision back? Maybe we could avert this. Maybe we could go on into the rapture as a mighty Christian nation. But the church is going to have to wake up. America is unraveling and it is the Christian's fault. Amen. Passing through it and reaching up to the neck. It doesn't completely wipe it out. It just stopped at the neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. So now God is prophesying to his son that tribulation will come against your land, your people. O God with us. Now now the prophet changes up what he's saying. Now he's prophesying to those coming against God's people. Now this is where it should be encouraging for us. Because even in Judah, there was a remnant. Even in America, in every city, and in every church, there's a remnant of those that want God more than anybody around them. This is what the prophet said for those who were the remnant when the king of Assyria, the world, was going to come in and ransack God's people. Listen to this. This is cool. Raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. <laughs> Listen, all you distant lands. Prepare for da- battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. That's the Hebrew Emmanuel there. They just translated it out. So twice now we have Emmanuel, God with us, the Son of God that was prophesied in the previous chapter. So for those of us that will walk with Emmanuel, the the one that God is born again, and not compromise the Emmanuel, the one that God is born again, the one that will actually make Emmanuel truly Emmanuel, we have this promise. We can say, go ahead, world, bring it. It'll be shattered. Go ahead, uh, pagan religion, bring it. It'll be shattered. Go ahead, economy, bring it. It'll be shattered. Go ahead, sickness, bring it. It'll be shattered. Go ahead, persecution, it'll be shattered. Go ahead, family, come against me. It'll be shattered because Emmanuel is in me. And I walk with him. Just because you're born again doesn't mean you can claim Emmanuel. Jesus is Emmanuel. God is with us. But if you don't walk with him, you can't say he's with you. Is that right? You can't claim Emmanuel. God is with us. Is he really with you? I've got plenty of New Testament verses that say if you're sinful or if you do that which is perverse in his sight, he'll turn his back against you. So we know we have to walk with him. Let's keep reading because it does get better. The Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me. I like that. Warning me not to follow the way of this people. What people? The part of his people that don't walk with him. The part of his people that play patty cake with the world. God spoke to him and said, do not follow the way of the back. We'll say the backslidden church. 
Now, if you don't know what the backslidden church looks like, it's about a third of America, maybe two thirds. Let me take a giant swing because I'm a pastor. I would almost tell you it's most churches over a thousand people. One man so arrogantly said, if your church isn't over a thousand people, you should shut the doors because you're not doing something right. And I say, if your church is over a thousand people, you're not preaching against sin hard enough. Now, I understand in a big city, you could probably draw that and have them all on fire for God. But the average church in America is only 75, 80 people. The average church. And for all the mega churches, we shared this statistic Sunday morning. For all the mega churches in every county in America, there's only about eight or 10,000 mega churches. And for all the mega churches, which would appear to be the move of God, there's not a single county in America that is more church today than it was 10 years ago. There's not a single county in America where the population of church people has gone up. Instead, it has declined. And so what most mega churches are, are just giant centers where people leave other churches to go to. I'm not against mega churches, but there's mega flesh in mega churches. And as Pastor Titus said, big churches have dark corners. So God told the prophet with a mighty hand upon him, don't follow the way of the backslidden people of God. Do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Boy, if the body of Christ isn't eat up with conspiracy theories right now. Hoarding and prepping. And I told one Christian man, I said, listen, you can hoard and prep all you want. And I could too, but the second it all falls apart, like you're saying, I'd have to empty my cupboards to feed my church. Because James says, if you have something and you don't give it to someone who's daily destitute, you're a liar and a hypocrite. I said, my hoarding, I'd violate James 1 to hoard. So Christians are not doing the word of God because they're afraid of the end of the world. If you walk with God, you're excited for the end. Bring it, bring it. If you know the scriptures, you say, bring it. I'm going to shine brighter in the end days. Don't walk in the way of the backslidden church. Do not fear what they fear, he says. And do not dread what they dread. Uh, one translation says, do not call a confederacy everything a confederacy. Don't join yourself to everything they join themselves to. Do not call everything a conspiracy they call a conspiracy. And don't call everything too hard that the soft church calls too hard. Boy, that isn't where we're at. Verse 13, the Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And he will be a sanctuary for both houses of Israel. He will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. That sounds like New Testament. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. Many Christians are stumbling over the name of Jesus right now. That real famous preacher that smiles and blinks a lot, he can't even make up his mind if Jesus is the only way to heaven. I find him in this verse. He is stumbling and tripping and falling into the trap that is Jesus Christ, the stumbling stone. Did you realize that our chief cornerstone is being rejected by many Christians right now? The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The builders, the builders reject him. Who are the builders? The preachers. The stone 
Who builds the church? The preachers build the church. The apostles laid the foundation, and Paul told us in Corinthians, we build upon it. Who is rejecting Jesus now? Our preachers are. I have found in Isaiah 8 the condition of the modern church preaching a Christmas Eve service about Emmanuel and Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Only God could show you that. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Many of these folks have been captured by the enemy. Bind up the testimony. I like this. Then he changes direction again. The Lord says, bind up the testimony and seal up the law among my disciples. So even through all this, the Lord still has disciples. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? And what you need to do is to bind up the law of God and the testimony of God in your heart. Bind it. Don't let anybody steal it from you. Chain it to you. Wrap it around you. Superglue it. Duct tape it. Epoxy it. I don't know. Have the thing welded to you. The testimony and the law of God. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. Do you realize that God is hiding himself from many churches right now? How do you know, pastor? They don't have a move of God. They haven't seen any new converts. They don't see any gifts of the Spirit. They don't see any salvations. They don't see any discipleship. They don't see any repentance. God does hide his face from his people. But he says in the end of verse 17, I will put my trust in him. So here's where it gets a little bit better. And we're about to wrap up. Here am I and the children the Lord has given me. We, this is for us, we are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty. We might say we are signs and symbols in the church. We are signs and wonders. We, his children, are signs and wonders in the church of the Almighty. The fact that you haven't sold out to the world, that's a sign and a wonder. The fact that you can find a couple preachers that haven't slept around on their wife, that's a sign and a wonder. The fact that you can find a couple American preachers that aren't in it for money, that's a sign and a wonder. The fact that you can find a handful of preachers that aren't trying to build a mega church for their cheap namesake, that's a sign and a wonder. The fact that you can still find Christians like you that will witness and stand clean and honor God with your body and your mouth and your eyes, that's a sign and a wonder. And then you go do the word on top of that and lay hands on people and witness and preach, that's signs and wonders. That's where it starts getting better for us here. We are signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. We are Mount Zion. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists, well, isn't that popular today? You believe, you believe in God? And there they are checking their astro chart. <laughs> you believe in God and there they are studying evolution. You believe in God and there they are studying Kabbalah or Buddhism or Hinduism. All these popular religions that everybody gets a free pass, but the Christian. Everybody, everybody's religion gets a free pass, but the Christians. When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Going to psychologists, shouldn't you inquire of your God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? <laughs> to the law and to the testimony. That's where you should seek, it implies. If they do not speak according to this world, it's because they have no light in them. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their God and king. This is talking about Christians. They will look toward the earth 
and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. All right, that isn't a positive ending. Let's go back and read that part about us being signs and symbols. <laughs> Forgot about that end part. I thought there was one more Emmanuel in there. Let's read verse 18 one more time, then we're going to jump to Isaiah 60. Here am I and the children the Lord has given me. We, say we. We. We are signs and symbols of the almighty God. That's you guys. You're in this dispensation. God lets you be born in this hour so you could be a sign and a symbol for him. So you could be an advertisement for him. Not to be one of these half-baked Christians that's in love with the world, trying to buy peace with the world, trying to befriend the world. We don't befriend the world. We preach to the world. We can't snuggle up with the world like some of those guys did trying to invent Chrislam. Some of the biggest Christians in the land about a year ago began to develop Chrislam so we could have a peace between the two religions. Not going to happen. That's right. We are signs and symbols. We don't move. The world moves around us. We are signs and symbols in Israel from the Lord Almighty who dwells on Mount Zion. If you do not walk with God, then you might as well name all your kids Meher, Shalal, Hashbaz. Quick to the uh, spoil, quick to the plunder. You're either going to have one of two children working in your life, Emmanuel or Meher, Shalal, Hashbaz. Quick to the spoil, quick to the plunder. When Emmanuel is your God, you never get spoiled. You never get sick. You resist it. Things don't go bad for you. You, you shake it off. Your life just sells and, and sails better. It might take dips from time to time, but so many Christians are just like this, up and down and up and down. This is a Mahara, Shalal Hashbaz. See that? That's Hashbaz. Shalal Hashbaz. Shalal Hashbaz. That's the way some of you live. Because you won't make God Emmanuel in your life. The Bible says we're to go from glory to glory. From faith to faith, from grace to grace, not Mahar Shalal, Hashbaz. <laughs> Go to Isaiah 60. Let's solve this darkness problem. Maybe it's 61, I can't remember. <laughs> verse, chapter 60, verse 1. We'll close here. It's hard to make a squeaky feel good Emmanuel service when the day is as dark as it is. 60 verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord shall arise upon you, and his glory shall appear over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. We don't have to end up in that darkness like some of God's people will. The end of Isaiah 8 says that some of God's people will be in utter darkness. This verse tells us if we walk with God, we will be the utter light that repels the utter darkness. The choice is up to us, though. This is not a day to be a lukewarm Christian. This is not a day to be a fence-sitting Christian. This is not a day to only honor Emmanuel at Christmas. This is the day to make Emmanuel, Emmanuel every day of your life. You got to wake up every day and say, Emmanuel, God is with me. Emmanuel, God is with my child. God is with my spouse. God is with my business. God is with my studies. God is with me in this car. You ought to just put Emmanuel everywhere because you need him. I can't lie to you and tell you things are awesome. 
If you're born again, you have a perpetual feast on the inside of you. You have perpetual joy. But if you're just playing games with Jesus this Christmas, I have a big mouthful of word for you. Mahar shalal hashbaz. <laughs> I won't ask you to repeat after me. There's no telling how it'll come out. Somebody will throw a wasp or somewhere in there. <laughs> have you learned anything tonight? 